0: Welcome to The Lawyer's Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts...
1: Hi, I'm Sam Glover, and I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 237 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Aaron Gerstensang about how to scale while being a solo.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, Podium, Ruby Receptionists, and Lex Reception. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned; we'll tell you more about them later on.
1: So as this podcast is being produced, we are actually at Lawyerist LabCon with Erin Gerstenzing, <laughs> even though the interview was recorded before the event. Yep. So it's very exciting to spend time with her and other members of our Lawyerist Lab community. We've got some exciting things we'll be announcing to that group at the event that I can't wait to tell all of you podcast listeners about in the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, you all just have to wait even longer, I guess. Yes,
1: yeah, they get some Sorry. secret sneak peeks, <laughs> which is the benefit of being in the club if you're interested in joining next time you're absolutely welcome to learn more at lawyerist.com slash lab but it's the place where we make sure that we are offering the most we can to our community and so they're getting some cool free access in the coming week
2: yeah it'll be fun to break down what we learned from LabCon or just our exuberant feelings afterwards next week but yeah that'll be fun
1: yeah, one of the reasons we have this event is to connect with our community but partially it's because we actually really value conferences and events and in person ways of getting to know people in these internet communities and so we think Lawyer Slabcon is one of the great events for lawyers to get together but one of the other events that we make a point of going to every year is Cleo's Cloud Conference and we're packing up some of our team to go there in October to San Diego and would love to offer any of you who want to join us there a discount code. So if you use the code lawyerist when registering for ClioCon, you can get a great
2: discount. Yeah, you're allowed to call it CleoCon Clio or Cleo Clio Cloud, Cloud Conference, Conference, which is a little clunky. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are there things you, are you can't like? call it? Uh I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. The Cleo
1: Cloud Conference is the official name, <laughs> otherwise known as ClioCon.
2: Exactly. You know what? It's one of my favorite conferences. It's going to be October 21st and 22nd in sunny San Diego. It was in Chicago for a few years, then it moved to New Orleans for a few years, and now it's gonna be in San Diego. I come away from the Clio Cloud Conference every year, energized, and I've usually learned some things from the speakers. It's big, it's getting bigger. It'll be fun to have you there, along with the other tech-minded lawyers that you will meet. And if you can make it, when you register, use the code lawyerist to get a discount. We'd love to see you there. And now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Brie Forsyth from Lex Reception and then my conversation with Aaron.
0: I'm Bree Forsyth with Lex Reception. We are a boutique virtual reception service that caters to the legal industry. So we do 24 hour live answering and we are script driven, meaning that we always answer with a smile and follow the script of our clients. So that's kind of us in a nutshell.
2: Thanks for being on the podcast again, Brie. And we didn't actually plan it, but later in this episode, Erin Gerstenzang will talk about how she uses Lex Reception to help scale her solo practice. Now, Erin gets 250 calls a month from her marketing, which probably sounds intimidating to some lawyers or at least solos. But as you increase your marketing efforts, you don't necessarily need to worry about fielding calls yourself. You just need to worry about making sure all calls get answered, even if you can't pick up the phone I think. But Bree, maybe you can explain to us, first of all, why voicemail is a bad idea for this.
0: Absolutely. I think I might be biased. I know I am. but <laughs> <That's> I <fair>. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I call around to businesses, especially when I'm looking to give them my business, I personally will hang up. The Same. stats really support that too. Forbes magazine reports that over 80% of people that are calling around for the first time will hang up, if they get voicemail. And a lot of our clients are criminal defense or personal injury. They're attorneys that are making potentially a lot of money on one case or one phone call. So that missed call can be hundreds of thousands of dollars if it just turns into a question mark at the end of the day.
2: So I guess that suggests that one way to use receptionists is as kind of backup to handle overflow so that nothing ever goes to voicemail, right?
0: Absolutely. And my suggestion is always to have a live person answering the phone that is trained, meaning they have a script. They're always answering with a smile. If you have someone that's on payroll, that's specifically hired to do this, that's perfect. If you don't, something like a virtual reception service would come in really handy. And even if you do have someone just naturally, the phone calls can come in at the same time. Mm -hmm. If that person's in a meeting or they're on the other line, sometimes calls can be 10, 15 minutes, if multiple calls are coming in at the same time, having some sort of backup to be able to catch those calls. Again, eliminate voicemail at all costs.
2: And I assume that's easy to set up, right? Because I think that's kind of an intimidating idea for some people. Like if there's a busy signal, it goes to the receptionist. Or if it goes three rings, it goes to the receptionist, something like that, right?
0: Yeah, it can be super intimidating to try to wrap your mind around the technology. But at the end of the day, it's a free feature on almost all phones out Mm. there, just caller ID. You just enable it and our team can help. Or if you just Google how to call forward, it's usually just a three digit code, like star seven, two. It's super easy.
2: And so, but for consistency, some firms may want to do what I think Aaron is doing, which is just use a receptionist as the first stage of intake for every caller so that every call gets answered. And that's super easy too. You just redirect your phone call and then a company like you can just take care of it from that point on, right?
0: Absolutely. If anyone wants to, all of our clients have the ability to use us as the overflow or just all of the calls. So they know every single call 100% of the time is going to go through the same initial triage process process. It's our job to capture. them. we answer generally within one or two rings, get the message over like on Erin's scripts specifically. It's very simple. We're just getting the pertinent information. And then we send it over to her team to kind of triage out from there.
2: So, how much customization can people do, and what kinds of questions and information can you gather?
0: So, the scripts can be anywhere from two questions to just the contact information. I've seen some scripts that have 20 different questions. Wow. We build based around the minute. So, I really advise to be super intentional about the questions. How did you hear about us? When did this incident take place? Really intentional and important questions. So, when you or your staff, whomever is looking at that for the next steps, they have the most important information. So they don't have to call back or do any continued follow up.
2: Yeah, you want to do that first round of mm-hmm. triage based on the information you get.
0: Cool. Absolutely.
2: So for more information about Lex Reception, you can visit lexreception.com slash lawyerist. And when you talk to someone there or contact someone there, if you mention that you heard about Lex Reception on the Lawyerist podcast, you'll get a special discount. Bree, thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
3: Thanks, Sam. Hi, this is Erin Gerstenzang, and I am a lawyer in Atlanta, Georgia. I have my own criminal defense practice where I help people who are faced with drug and alcohol-related offenses primarily. And we also have a new practice area where we are serving businesses in Georgia who are navigating all of our new hemp and cannabis laws and regulations.
2: Oh, interesting. I have been excited to see the spread of that as a practice area. That sounds weird. Like I'm not a pothead, although I don't think that's a bad thing. God, I'm just, this doesn't work, but <laughs> I think it's neat to see new Keep practice talking, areas. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it's neat. You know, we had a marijuana lawyer from Colorado on a while back talking about navigating the morass of federal laws. So cool.
3: Yeah, no, it's a fun industry, I think. Exciting place to be. So, yeah.
2: And welcome back. You were on podcast number 117 almost a little over two years ago. So thanks for coming back.
3: Thanks for having me. So much has changed.
2: (laughs) I know. And I'd like you to tell us about that. So first of all, you said we, and two years ago, it was just you so, you were talking with us about ethics and minimalism and tech competence. You'd been speaking and writing and talking about things outside your core practice area for a while, but you were just sort of embarking on becoming better known nationally for talking about those and thinking about those issues. And I know that a lot has changed over the last two years. So, kind of tell us where your practice is and where your speaking is and where your focus
3: is. Yeah. So, I think when we had last spoke, I was still fairly new to the legal tech community and was just so excited to be meeting all all of these innovators who are doing and experimenting and trying new things in their practice to sort of reimagine the practice of law. So that has been such an exciting journey for me. And along the way, I have had, you know, so many amazing conversations about what could be possible in the law firm. And I think, you know, that wasn't something really that I had thought about, discussed with, had a lot of curiosity even about because I just hadn't imagined that world. So, you know, that's my plug for joining the legal tech community, (laughs) which is, you know, you never know what's possible. And really, I mean, this is also, you don't, didn't know I was going to do this, but a plug for the lawyerist, because that is really, (laughs) I came to TBD and I didn't even know that this community had existed before then. So that has been so inspirational in my practice. So where I was when we last spoke was I was running a true solo, which had always been my vision after I had incredible mentorship at a small boutique law firm here in Atlanta by one of the national premier DUI defense attorneys. And I had loved working and being part of that team, but I'd always sort of imagined going out on my own. Fun fact about me is I've been working in a small law firm on some level since I was 10 years old. Both my parents are lawyers and in New York, and I worked dutifully in their law firm starting at 10 and answering phones. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, so it, it never really occurred to me that that wasn't part of my path. But the question of how I was going to do it, I'd always imagined doing it in the same or similar fashion that my mentors had, or that my parents had, which was building what looks to be from the outside a very traditional, small, successful law firm. Mm -hmm. And so the legal tech community really gave me this opportunity to start thinking about ways that I could do different things. Now, I will say that as a criminal defense lawyer, there's a lot of ideas that I'd heard that didn't seem super, you know, in every lawyer, in every person, probably, we all tend to have this Thought pattern of, I'm a special snowflake, so that sounds great, but my special snowflake criminal defense practice wouldn't be able to have more automation or scale in the way that I saw some of these other businesses being able to do that. So what's really exciting about looking back two years ago between then and where I am now, we have been doing a lot of experimenting and scaling and reimagining the way that you can run a criminal defense practice. And it's been, you know, with any kind of experiment, not everything's been perfect. But in whole, we've been working on this for about 11 months and we've seen it's now starting to work. So we're really excited about the innovation that we've been able to build and bring in new other lawyers to help push that
2: vision along. So I hope I'm giving this a fair characterization, but it, it sounds like you sort of have decided that where your focus is, is you are good at bringing in business and you are good at sort of the model of how you want to serve clients. And now you're trying to figure out how to scale that. Yes. Without necessarily building a big firm.
3: Right. And play to my strengths and figure out a way to create a big law firm and that kind of client base and help more people as opposed to just the one on one model. You know, that model is successful in some ways, but also can be soul crushing in others. Right. So, a way to sort of balance that is what I was on the hunt for. Um, and still, you know, I'm not saying that this is the magic answer, but it's exciting to have a world of possibility where we're building something different and new that helps the client, the clients get a better attention, better experience, and so do the lawyers. Well,
2: so let's dial in on that. When you say you're trying to build something new, what's the vision for what you're trying to build? What will this law firm look like when you've done it?
3: Um, Okay, well, so that's a a fun question because we've already started, we are already there and then fine-tuning as we go. But this sort of started with, uh, I had been informally mentoring a bunch of criminal defense women who had some variation of a similar story which had been trained at a very reputable high profile criminal defense law firm but you know the economics of small law in the traditional from the traditional point of view don't necessarily you know the winner there is not the associate the winner right. there is most certainly the senior partner and so the traditional model of you work you know hundreds of hours a week you take you know if you're doing any profit sharing which is not necessarily standard it's a very small amount And, you know, you either burn out or you're able to stay in there, hang on long enough where you become a partner.
2: I mean, the criminal defense lawyer that I started my career at basically took me aside at one point and told me, if you have any brains, you'll go out on your own at some point, (laughs) you know, because you just can't do it. It's
3: hard to make that model work. And to my bosses, I should be careful because when I talk about this, my mentor and boss, he was very innovative in his own right. And so the way he had structured his firm wasn't exactly like this. But what I've seen in a lot of um, the women that are now part of our collective, but what I saw was they're peeling off from these firms. You know, you go there, you work there for a few years, you get the training that you need, but there's not much focus or content on quality of life, or where do you go next? Or what is the path for me? Where am I trying to go other than continually be the associate? And sometimes you get a partner, but it's usually a partner in name only. So it can be very challenging.
2: And I guess the flip side of that, though, is that going solo is very, very challenging, too. I mean, we've talked about on the podcast repeatedly that being a true solo may not really be all that feasible if you hope to have any kind of work life harmony in your world, because there's just too much work there, even at a small practice.
3: Yeah. And there's so many different hats that you have to wear. But I think and this may not I mean, this is my assumption, but it may not be unique to criminal defense. But as criminal defense lawyers, you know, if we're working for a salary on these cases, you're going to be in court most of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's a great place to get so much experience. So I had motions and trials every single week lined (laughs) up. Um, And that was just such an amazing experience that you don't get as a solo, and that can be very problematic if you try to go straight into solo practice, but it's not sustainable. You know, at no point, if you're getting paid the same amount, no matter how many cases or trials, you know, that workload, that can start to feel like there's no end in sight. So while you're sharpening your trial skills, you may be abandoning your family or um, your friends, or you know, not feeling like you're making a lot of progress. And so eventually, and quite frankly, the economics of the small law, if somebody's having to pay you a salary as an associate, they're not super incentivized to continue to make that financially rewarding for you. At least historically, there's always been this notion of we have access to a pool of people who would love to have this job. So if you're not happy, keep moving on. So
2: it sounds like the problem you were trying to solve is how to build a bigger criminal defense firm without running into all those problems that you and and the women that you have been mentoring have run into, but giving everybody more security and balance than they could get working for themselves?
3: Yes, in part, that is it. And making it a lot less, leaving that room for flexibility for Mm -hmm. what you want to do. So I should probably just explain how it works. Yeah. So essentially, we have a community of solo or small law criminal defense female attorneys. And we all have our particular strengths and we're very familiar. As I said, this was already a loose mentorship. I was running the Leadership Academy for the Georgia Association for Women Lawyers. I brought in a lot of those people who I was already mentoring. So we had this great community that we are already building. And so with the collective, actually, the EHG Law Firm Collective is what we call it. And that formalized this relationship and brought them in and said, hey, let's start helping each other succeed. So part of that is a lot of that is technology training and collaboration and, uh, you know, support for, hey, this prosecutor is giving me a hard time. Is this crazy? Like, this is what they're saying. Or this judge is giving me a hard time. Or what do you think the best strategy is? having that community where we could really go and be vulnerable and share those questions or experiences that we were having was very valuable. So that's sort of how it started, but also with this notion of, hey, we could collaborate together and we Mm -hmm. could pull from a pool of experts who are, you know, Ashley and Laura, who are fantastic in Gwinnett County and in front of this judge um, or on this particular issue where I know, uh, you know, for drug testing or forensic testing, they are super sharp about. So instead of reinventing the wheel as a solo, we really created a community where we could build teams sure. of lawyers around a client's problem. As opposed to I think the traditional model of law firm which is like, hey, I'm paying all of these associates a ton of money, so they're going to they're going to be the lawyer who's working on this case. Hope they're helpful to you.
2: So how does that look from the client's perspective then?
3: So that's a good question. And that was one of the starting points that we, that was one of the places that I started out. And actually I should just a shout out to Billy Tarasio. A lot of this was inspired by a talk she gave at Clio last year, where she talked about how she really did a lot of intentional designing around the structure of her firm. And then, you know, showed how remarkable the results were. Hmm. So that sort of got me thinking, how can we do that? In criminal. So in terms of how does that work for the client, I always love and I do, uh, you know, I'm a legal ethics enthusiast, I would say. <laughs> so um, I wasn't intimidated by the legal ethics which of it, which I think is what a lot of lawyers have when they start trying to create and innovate. They think, oh, the legal ethics are so complicated and how could I possibly overcome those hurdles, but I just started, sat down with the rules. I really had not spent a lot of time with the rules around special counsel and of counsel relationships, but fundamentally it's very transparent to the client. And that's my a hundred percent, my rule is, Hey, we're, there's nothing s- sneaky here. When we're bringing in a team, you're going to sign up and that person's going to be explicitly in the fee agreement. Their role is specifically discussed and defined in that fee agreement. And the fact that we are sharing the fees is also explicitly discussed. Mm-hmm. So there is no question in the client's mind. And quite frankly, clients tend to see this as the value that it really is. I mean, there's always that fear of we know from the inside, this is, you know, having two lawyers for the price of one is super valuable in this configuration. But, you know, there's the chance that clients might not. But actually, clients really do love that.
2: Does a client sign a retainer with EHG Collective or with the individual lawyers?
3: So the three of us sign it. So all three, I sign it for the EHG law firm, the individual lawyer signs it, and the client signs it.
2: Gotcha. And are all the other law firms in the collective doing the same thing?
3: So what's funny about this is, let me not mislead you into thinking, Erin's such a genius and she's come up with this new way to practice law, because that's not Mm -hmm. what's happening. I've just tried to formalize what's already been happening, at least in the criminal defense world, for quite some time. And and we've seen, it used to be when I started practicing law 15 years ago, most of the lawyers that I knew about, like they had more of a small firm setup. Mm-hmm. But in the last 15 years, we're seeing a lot of breakups, a lot of firm divorces. And so, a lot of these lawyers are now solo, and that's what they're doing in the community. Now, they may not be doing it with fee agreements explicitly. It's more just of a collegial, like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pay you this much. Can you come in on this case and argue this motion that I already know you're an expert at? So, this kind of pairing up is already happening. And of course, so the lawyers in our collective, we've just sort of Uh, formalized it. You know, it's nice to do that, not with just like an outside stranger, but with people who, you know, share your cultural values about delivering exceptional client service. And how do we talk to our clients and how do we interact with them? So um, I think that this is really just a formalization of what lawyers have already discovered is a value add to them as a practitioner, but also a value add to the client.
2: And then so from your end, what does it look like? It sounds like there's a bit of a community collegial aspect where you can go and pick brains or maybe engage somebody to go to a hearing or co-counsel with you or how does it look like when you have decided that you need other work done on this case or somebody else should be consulted
3: sure so i mean i think for primary representation moments client's going to know on the front end i'm not going to bring somebody mm-hmm. in to argue their trial without uh, that's possible but like that would be very Unusual. So usually they know they're either just hiring me and sometimes I'll bring in an attorney and, and I have those attorneys names listed in the fee agreement. Hey, these people might mm-hmm. pop up, you know, like, so if I need coverage, because I'm going to be in trial somewhere else, I have uh, people available that can come in and help. But otherwise for me, and the problem it was solving for me as a practitioner is like I have, and this was the role I played at my old firm, which I was the problem solver. Do you have a difficult client? Do you have a difficult prosecutor? Do you have a difficult legal issue that you need to workshop. All of these moments were really places that I have a lot of strengths in and brought a lot of value to the team. And so what we've tried to do when we're working on these, when it's a collective agreement and we brought in another attorney on the front end is I provide that role, but I am not the attorney who files an entry of appearance with the court. I am not the attorney who the client's going to see in court with them. So that sort of solved one of these friction points that I was having is, Hey, I can't, I can't be in court all the time and also be, you know, focusing on all these other processes and supporting all these other lawyers. And so that for me, that puts me in the role of mentor. Sometimes it also manifests as an older sister because I'm the oldest of four. So that's a natural role. But, uh, you know, on the day to day and the week to week, I'll get, you know, from the women in the collective, I get calls, like sometimes it's advice about the case, it's advice about the court, it's advice about how to set up a fee agreement on their own, that's not part of the collective, but they want to run something by me. So I get to really be valuable in those places. And, you know, I know that they're doing it with one another as well. And they also sometimes serve that resource for me when I can draw on their expertise.
2: I assume there's fee sharing?
3: So if they're, when they come in and the client knows and signs an agreement that says this is going to be, we call it the lead counsel, this is my lead attorney, they're going to be the attorney who's showing up, then the fee agreement specifically says, hey, the fees getting split. Mm-hmm. In other instances where it's just more like what lawyers are doing in our community, which is just paying an attorney to go cover an appearance for them or bring them in to help research an issue, like more like a contract basis.
2: Gotcha. We need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm a little late doing that, but we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll keep talking about the scale model and what are some of the problems you've run into and how you view its success. So we'll be back. Drip, drip, drip. Drip, hear that? It's your office's online reviews. Kind of slow, huh? Not exactly the gush of praise you are hoping for when you set up your account on that review site. But why? After all, your best clients love you, they say it all the time, just not online, and that's too bad. Because your word may be your bond, but your clients' words, well, they're your best sales tool. And these days, a star rating can make the difference between very interested and running for the hills. Podium knows how important reviews are to your law office. That's why they built a great online review platform, making it simpler than ever to get a five-star rating you know you deserve. Businesses see an average 6% increase in revenue from reviews thanks to Podium. More than just a friendly reminder, Podium sends clients straight to the review sites you care about most with built-in analytics to monitor your progress towards meeting your next goal. So you could keep waiting for reviews to drip in or you could open the floodgates with Podium. Just visit Podium.com slash Lawyerist to save 10% when you sign up. That's Podium.com slash Lawyerist to get started and save 10%. Podium, become the number one law office online. Unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Easily insert text snippets in any application from a library of content created by you and your team while reducing errors. You can save so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit Textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. There's more to answering a phone call than just pronouncing your name correctly. And I think that's what sets Ruby apart from all the other receptionist services out there. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people who work at Ruby, and from top to bottom, it's full of the kind of people you'd love to spend time with. I guess it's something in the coffee they serve. And after all, when someone calls your firm, that means they are going to be spending time with your receptionist. You may think you get to make a first impression when you pick up the phone, but that's not how it works. Maybe your receptionist is just on the call for a minute or two, but that's all it takes to form a first impression. So it's a good idea to make sure your receptionist is the kind of person you'd want your callers to spend time with. It could be the difference between a big case and a big fail. Don't worry, Ruby can handle pronouncing your name right. They'll also help you make a great first impression. And now Ruby can even help you connect with clients right on your website with 24-7 live online chat. You can find out more about Ruby receptionists and how to make a great first impression at callruby.com slash lawyeristpod. Okay, we're back. So, Aaron, how do you feel about this right now? Is it successful? Is it allowing you to expand your practice? What's working and what's gone well?
3: So, I think with anything that's probably worth doing and hard, actually, my husband always likes to remind me of this. I can't think of what the site is. Somebody smarter than me and said, oh, you know, you start some new venture, and for the first, usually like half of it, you're like, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is <laughs> sucking. I, everything's broken you know, I feel like I'm just doing lots of different things and I don't see how it's coming together. So we, the first part of those 11 months was a lot of that um, because what we haven't talked about is the technology component of this because we've automated a lot of this as well. So there was a lot of being in the suck, you know, and that's just what it is. And so you get, and you know, you're in it when you're like, is this even a good idea? So there was a lot of that. And even up until even a few months ago, you know, I wasn't sure that this was necessarily going to be exactly as I had imagined it, but in the last month, month or two, it's all of a sudden come out, you know, and so then you come out of the suck and you're like, Oh my God, this is working. This is amazing. I love this project.
2: So say more about the technology. Cause I, I guess now that you mentioned that I mean, we haven't talked about it yet. And it strikes me that that is probably the difference between an informal arrangement and an actual, like something that has some, some bones and structure behind it. So what does make this different? How does the technology play in?
3: So I've always, as you know, loved to automate everything in my practice. So for mm-hmm. years, that's meant like <laughs> I've been using, Zapier essentially to motor all or to power all of my automation, which is a great starting point. And if you're using Zapier, it's great. But I always felt like it wasn't the perfect elegant solution. So recently in the last couple of months, I switched to Logmatics, which has made a lot of my vision so much easier and complete and all under one roof. So, you know, part of this is figuring out a way to incorporate all of these fee agreements, like these special fee agreements and getting everybody to sign and getting that in a smooth workflow so that it's easy and everybody understands what's happening.
2: So do you have a consolidated intake process then? Everyone in the collective agrees to use one sort of intake system and process?
3: Yes. Oh, okay. For the clients we're working on, yes. And that's all triggered... They have the ability to trigger it because sometimes they'll be the first person talking to the client that comes through our front door. And so they can trigger that fee agreement or I can trigger that process. And it's really a chain reaction. That's the fee agreement, the intake form, the invoice, and then onboarding emails. All of that is now automated through Lawmatics. So
2: it's kind of a single unified customer experience. Right. It sounds like the attorneys in the collective have the choice whether or not to bring a client in. Is it ever a struggle to get them to bring them into the collective versus hiring them or letting the client hire them independently and just say, nope, this is all mine?
3: No, but I, you know... No, but all of the clients, so they all have their own practices. So let's be clear. They have clients coming through their front door and I have nothing to do with the cases that come in through their front door. This is really just a way for me to scale my practice of clients. I just recently now have been collecting data. So I know we get approximately 250 new client calls per month.
2: And so that's, you're the rainmaker,
3: maybe, maybe for some people (laughs) that doesn't sound like a lot, but like, that's overwhelming as a solo to try to be kind and generous and patient with all these new calls that are coming in, because you can get a bad review if you're not, you know, and you want to help people, but you need to not all those people, most of the vast majority of those people are not people who are the right fit for the firm. And so going through that list and figuring out a way what to do with that work once it comes in. So that was really um one of the log jams that I was having. And that was a problem that the South This is not this is not a way for me to try to Profit off of other people's rainmaking in their own business. You're
2: trying to spread your own business around because you've got Correct. your marketing has been more effective than your time.
3: <laughs> um, well, yeah, and that just goes to show you spend a couple of years in the legal tech community and you can mm-hmm. learn
2: a lot. <laughs> you can only raise your rates so much before people just won't pay you. <laughs> so,
3: yes, so that's another <laughs> that's another issue. Is I had in the criminal defense space and DUI space as well in traffic. There's disruption happening, and so the pricing models we used to get. The pricing models that we used to have were far more profitable because it wasn't as much of a commodity. And so now in a great way, people are accessing legal services, but that's pushed the price point down. That combined with Uber and Lyft and all these other amazing disruptors. But yeah, I had to shift my model from being a very expensive solo to how do I capture some of these lower fees where we can still deliver value, but spread the wealth. Okay.
2: So a client comes in, do you take the intake call then?
3: Sometimes I do. Often I do, but not always.
2: Other lawyers can pick up the phone or or return the call or however that works.
3: So we've partnered with actually also another plug to the lawyers. We got to be introduced to the Lex reception folks at mm-hmm. the tech show event that you guys hosted. And mm-hmm. so I had heard from a couple of people and I was, you know, trying out a number of products and I wasn't happy. So I've landed with them. So they're taking a lot of our intake calls because, you know, I'm in court. But now we have a spreadsheet and we track them and we see that coming in. And so I can siphon those off to the attorneys who I know are available and can return those calls and have a meaningful conversation with those people quickly, more quickly than, you know, Okay, now I'm out of court and I'm back home and it's 6 p.m. and I have 20 calls to respond to. And half of those people have already hired lawyers because they're just looking for the first person who picks up the phone.
2: And then that's also going to be their lead counsel on their case.
3: Right. So if you get, so they would be the lead counsel. If they're talking to you, they're going to be the lead counsel. And then they trigger off that fee agreement. Part of this is it can't all have to be me, especially if I'm not going to be available 24 seven because I'm a practicing attorney.
2: And then what makes this more than just a simple, just another referral network is that you're using Lawmatics, which is a really powerful intake onboarding CRM tool to manage the process of bringing the client on, getting the retainer, a unified retainer agreement signed, and you've got sort of one client experience that follows the client through the process. Are you also deciding that every attorney in the collective has to use the same software on their end so that when you, they are all opening files the same way and managing them the same way?
3: Um, no, there's been no mandate. That hasn't been a problem yet. I will say that since we're so close and we carefully look at, you know, the technology decisions that each of us use, it's come out that a lot of us use Cleo. Gotcha. <laughs> like it just it just so happens that we are influencing each other. So there hasn't been uh, much friction in terms of the technology. But you know, this is far beyond. You said, oh, this looks like a referral. Or, or like what makes this more than a referral service? And I think and I probably should have started with. Under no circumstances, like when I set out, the one rule I had was we're not building a referral network, like that is not valuable to clients you know that's not clear how that's super valuable to lawyers either it's very clear to me how it's valuable to the person who's referring the business yeah. but i don't i don't believe that that makes the world a better place i don't think that that's a better design of a law firm so this has been very much structured so that we are trying to pull all of the great things out of a traditional law firm which is that support community your client having you know a senior partner to either like you know, talk to or escalate things to if they're not happy with, but also have those two people come together and think of creative solutions to their problems as well. Gotcha. So, um, it's not just the like, Oh, here, there's your lead counsel. See ya. Um, that is not the dynamic.
2: Right. Lawmatics helps to manage that onboarding piece, you know, delivering emails and copies of documents and stuff to the client. What continues after that initial phase of getting the client signed up and into the system? You know, technology-wise, how do you continue managing the relationship with the client throughout the life cycle
3: of the Uh, the case? So usually that's targeted emails and that's just like inviting phone calls, communication. Hey, let's check in. Do you have any questions about this process? Do you want to schedule time? Here you can get time to schedule a call. You can get time to schedule an in-person meeting, but just sort of that maintenance of checking in in terms of me and our automation with vis-a-vis client. And then in terms of, you know, sharing that information with a the lawyer, then that ends up being pretty seamless too on, on the end of, you know, the fact that we're all using Clio. And, and are,
2: so are you the one who the client would check in with? Cause not it, necessarily. Kind of, it kind of sounds like you're sort of the senior partner.
3: I'm the senior partner. Yeah. So I'm available, right. right? Like in that same way. And that's, and I wasn't sure when I started and that was part of the experimentation. And when we were figuring out what's a fair split and that was part of this ideation was how much involvement should I have and, and where should I play that role? And what we've been able to experiment and see is it's, More than I thought. Mm-hmm. Right, in terms of having, especially if that client came in through my front door and we had a long, you know, in date conversation, we bonded in that way, then they, you know, they're like, yeah, let's schedule a call. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's wrong? You know, and then we get on the call and we're like, hey, I just want to know everything's great. Just want to touch base, you know, and so that's sort of fun because that is actually, that's also a, a moment that I really enjoy in the representation and, you know, a resource that is available to those clients. So my involvement is definitely not. Not hands off, particularly the more complicated the case, you know, the more involved I am. So that's actually been a fun surprise because I wasn't sure if that would fit. Like, where can I interject without interfering with the underlying lead counsel relationship?
2: It feels to me like part of your goal here must have been to you, you said at one point that this would focus on some of your strengths, which is clearly business development and administration, which sounds boring, but I don't think is, you know, like managing the technology and the systems and the process is this allowing you to do less courtroom work and is that one of your goals or at the moment, are you still building this? And so it's, there's a little bit of working your ass off all the time to do it.
3: I uh, know it's definitely allowed me to outsource a lot of courtroom work, which is not it, that weighs heavy on my heart because courtroom work, as many people who spend time in courtroom will probably agree. It is where one of the places where I get so much intense joy and satisfaction professionally, right. but it also drains you of being able to be effective in so many other areas of your practice because it is all-consuming, and you are there, and like it's like a black hole. You know, time ceases to exist. You'll be sitting there for hours on end. So it has pulled me out of the courtroom, but not entirely, like I have a hearing tonight. But that has given me the space and the flexibility that I need to build on this business and provide that support in other places. You know, what a lot of people don't think about when they think about trial attorneys, especially for criminal attorneys, because I don't know why civil guys seem to get a pass on this, but we are on call for any individual case, you know, there's one judge in Fulton County who puts us on call for trial for seven weeks, which mm-hmm. means you have to be ready at the top of a hat for seven weeks to try a case that you may get rolled over and not try. So the kind of stamina and availability that that requires, and not just like on one case, when you have that across the board, it starts to be really limiting because trial prep is not something You know, you don't prep it once and then you're ready for seven weeks. That's something that, you know, you need to stay fresh and current on. And so that what what it's eliminated for me is being beholden to these unknown moments in the calendar where I could be called in at any moment to be on trial or in a motion. And so that's the pain point for me when it comes to court and trying to build a business and scale a business. Um, and lots of states do it differently. In New York, it was m- very much different, where the judge was like, What date looks good for you? You know, and we set well, down a date.
2: Trial blocks are bullshit because it's like lazy calendar management. Um, you can't say that because you have to go in front of judges, but I'll say it. It's lazy calendar management. But <laughs> but but here I guess that's a really good point because I was a litigator and my response to trying to build some work-life balance in my life was to essentially give up on litigation because there's no way you can get away from the whims of the court when it comes to managing your schedule. And so, you know, if court says you've got a, a court date, you're going to it, even if it's your kid's birthday. And I think that is really a hard challenge. And so, you know, how, how do you, I mean, I know you and Zach are both really engaged parents as well. And, and I know you, you spot each other on this stuff, but like, how do you, how do you try to find space in that, in your court schedule while you're still doing litigation and courtroom work to have the kind of personal life you want to have?
3: Well, I think any, uh, and I don't know, this is, I'm going to say something that might be very gendered in an inappropriate way, but I don't, I have a lot of male colleagues who like do not, file leaves what we call in Georgia leaves of absence, which is like, hey, judge, I'm going to be out for these days. For this reason, you have 10 days to say no. And if you don't, it's set in stone. And so I am the one you have to be organized. And that's one of the places that, you know, I'm playing to my strengths and organization is certainly one of them. So I have my leave scheduled, you know, eons in advance. And I think practitioners should be doing that more on a regular basis to build that time in because you could my male colleagues who are very busy who are in the thick of trial to trial to trial, still, they don't take that time off in the middle of the week. I was like, hey, you should be filing a leave of absence for a week, a month, because prosecutors get that. Prosecutors get, they're not on trial. Their judge is doing civil stuff. They don't have court, so they get office time. And then they also can manage their personal life around that. And so I think that there are ways, even in the traditional setting, to do that. But my vision for the collective has been to even take me even farther away from there, where I can be doing the trial prep with lead counsel and helping them, but not have it take up the same space on my calendar and the same emotional toll that it would if I was doing it on my own.
2: So I didn't even know that leaves of absence were a thing and maybe they aren't in Minnesota. I have no idea. Um, (laughs) I never encountered it. And maybe I love that because it, it is a tool that, you know, maybe there's some fear that by Announcing that you're taking a leave of absence, you're showing that you're not as committed or something, which feels lame to me. But it feels like that, you know, there are definitely tools out there where you can actually take control of your schedule. It just requires you to do a little bit of planning. Yeah. And I suppose doing less courtroom work means that you have less stuff to plan around as well.
3: Yes. And I have less of those, like, sort of landmines that we all have on our horizon of, like, oh, those moments where you're just waiting for that shoe to drop because, you know, that trial's coming up and, you know, you just carry around that weight in a way that can be very mm-hmm. limiting, I think. And so for me, this was about designing a practice where I really get to lean into my strengths. I get to bring that value that I so enjoyed and missed for my traditional firm of working with a team and, and being able to come in and Fix a problem client or strategize about some issue that's come up and be valuable to people. And and for me, one of the things I've realized in my practice that that's very, very important to me. I love being a solo. I love the autonomy. But I do miss that element of being part of a team and helpful to that team and problem solving as a group. And so... That is just the emotional set point for this collective is also right for me because it's that balance and what I found. And right now, you know, like there's definitely male attorneys that we partner with and work together. You know, Ben Sessions in Atlanta is one of my absolute, Mm -hmm. you know, first people that I call. But, you know, for the collective, it's mostly women. And and what I find is that there's a lot of women who also miss those aspects and that control and autonomy, but also teamwork that maybe doesn't seem to call as strongly to some of my male colleagues.
2: So what are you trying to improve on or maybe what problems still remain?
3: So consistency, always, always. I think, you know, for the first time ever in my career, I've been thinking a lot about what does a training manual look like and mm-hmm. how would I get all of these process points that I know intuitively are important about delivering exceptional client service and like, when do you call them before court and making sure how do you have that conversation? So one of the places is is trying to bring uniformity to that, because as much as I've been practicing with these women for years, side by side, we'd see each other in court. I know how you argue. I know how, you know, prosecutors respond to you. I know so much about your practice. It's easy to think that we do everything the same or that we will be aligned. And so being able to identify those points where it's like, oh, no, I never would have said it like that, or this is how this is how I think maybe this might be a better approach, Figuring out a way to document those moments, identify and document those moments to make sure it's even more streamlined and and eliminate any assumptions that can happen in a fast moving work environment, especially with people who you are comfortable with, respect and, you know, you already know they're going to do a good job. So I think fine tuning all those moments in particular is valuable. I think, you know, also one of the times is knowing when to put on the gas and not and keeping in touch with, you know, Mm -hmm. if they already have a ton of work then, you know, any cases coming in through my front door may not feel, you know, may feel different than their primary clients So making sure that you have a balance.
2: It's kind of like inventory management.
3: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And yeah. you're like, hey, if you don't need work, you just tell me and, you know, we'll turn the taps on when you need it. But don't take these cases and feel overwhelmed and start drowning. And essentially, then now it looks like it did when you were working at the law firm you were working Right. At.
2: But it seems like the flip side could also be true, that as you set more clarity around process and expectations, and as cases that you refer become a larger chunk of their client base, could you see yourself actually becoming a firm and and bringing some of these lawyers in-house?
3: Well, so I think that there's something important, and this is, I may not be right about it, so there's lots of space for me to be wrong, but what I've always believed since I've gone out and I've seen and even coached my colleagues through these divorces in their law firm is in today's modern world, I think it's really important to maintain the integrity of your personal brand And that gives you and leaves options open. You never want to join a firm and then not, you know, people who are breaking up, they're 45 years old. You know, they've been practicing for years and years. And they're like, how do I build a website? (laughs) You know, how their option, they don't have a lot of good options of going out on your own. So one of the things that I truly treasure, at least right now about this model, is that every woman gets to work on her own business and have that, have that option, So this isn't, you know, I'd hate to think of building a firm that could sabotage those future options for people if you give up your website and you give up your practice and your personal clients. So although it would be amazing if they wanted to handle all of their clients through the collective, I don't really see, my vision is not eventually I want to turn this into your own salary.
2: Right. But it does seem like that could be a thing where somebody's like, you know, you're 80% of my work right now. Why don't I just come in house and do all my work for you?
3: I don't. See that being a realistic conversation okay. with women in particular, <laughs> right? Because what's nice about this is the cycle of life is like, Hey, I'm going to put this on pause cause I just had a kid or we're going on vacation and you don't have, you have all those, that uh, autonomy. That's the
2: thing they can do now that they couldn't if,
3: Right. So you couldn't yeah. and you wouldn't feel like you could. And then you also have all I like for our interests to be aligned. And right now with this model, everybody's interests are clearly aligned and we yeah. all have the same. Like we can help each other without feeling like, oh, somebody's getting a better shake, you know, getting a better deal out of this. And I think that that gets muddied. And until I come across the perfect lot, I think how people are doing it now is not useful in my world, in the place, workplace that I want to work. Um, And so I have yet to see the model where I think it really makes sense to like join team up and subsume one somebody's brand under another because it's just a volatile place where the trend is people are going solo and for good reasons. So I just don't know that working against that. I could be convinced, though, somebody, Mm -hmm. (laughs) somebody, somebody smart could show me all the reasons that I'm wrong. But uh, for now, I really like this idea, and then it's also a great way to breathe life into these women and their businesses, and talk about all of the things that we talk about at The Lawyerist, which is, you know, technology and improving. Client service and getting better and better preparation methods and better, you know, I think that that keeping everybody with their entrepreneurial hat seems to bring out the best work in
2: people. I love the way you've approached this. I guess I didn't even mention this before, but if people don't, I think I didn't mention this for Zach either until the very end of his podcast. But your husband Zach was also a guest on episode 219, and he is a user experience designer. And so I imagine often your dinner table conversations, bridge the gap between design and law, which is stuff we talk about at lab all the time. And I love the way you've approached this because it really shows that, that you've taken a thoughtful approach to the problem and solving it and you've experimented and worked it out. But I also love that this feels like a problem that a lot of lawyers are trying to solve, especially solos. Like how do I grow without compromising what I have? And it seems like you've walked that line quite well for your goals. And so I know it's early days for you, but it sounds like things are going well and hopefully we'll continue to kick ass. So nice work.
3: Yeah. Thank you. It's exciting. Um, people are now trying to jump in the boat, which was really fun because um, yeah. before it started as like recruiting, come along this crazy journey with me.
0: Um, and
3: now now people are like, Hey, how can I get a ticket? So that is fun, but you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Maybe I'll come on in two years and I'll yeah, report totally. back. I can't
2: <laughs> wait. Um, well, and, and I'm going to see you soon because as we're recording this, we're both probably getting ready to check in for, well, you're probably getting ready to check in for your, flight to Minnesota for LabCon where I assume we'll be digging in deeper to what you're working on. So that's going to be pretty cool.
3: I'm so excited. Actually, that's been a big motivator for a lot of these. You know, it's good to have that accountability partner. So I was highly motivated and excited to have something that was working, but to go and bring it to LabCon and see what <laughs> what amazing things the brilliant people in the room can add um, and help me with.
2: Um, is this your third LabCon? Counting TBD Law as like lab- 4 fourth on one, on four. Oh, that's yes, right. Sir. Yes, Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure out who will have the most ticks on their badge and you are definitely one of them so
3: Oh wow. Well, I ex- I you know <laughs> part of it is even it's one of those things that you don't even know what you're going to get out of but I know every time I leave I feel so inspired with a thousand new ideas and i can't wait to hit the office um the next day to start implementing oh, them so that's awesome I it's a pretty that. it's a pretty like awesome rested and um way to you know rejuvenate your excitement about your practice and your clients
2: well aaron thank you so much for being on the podcast again and i hope to have you back in maybe not even two years maybe, maybe <laughs> we won't wait so long.
3: awesome and i'll see you in a few days sounds great thanks sam